Hello and welcome to Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. My name is Lewis Webb and each week I get to share the stories of some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. As always, your feedback is really important, so if you can leave positive ratings and reviews, it's greatly appreciated. And if you want to get in touch directly, you can email hello at somersetstories.com. My guest this week is the award-winning blogger and writer, Joe Middleton. Joe's blog, Slummy Single Mummy, shares an honest and open view of the last 10 years of her life. Joe writes about every aspect of life as a parent and has gained a huge following of readers and social media fans. She's also recently published a novel, Playgroups and Prosecco, which takes an irreverent look at modern life with kids. Joe, welcome to Somerset Stories. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? How's today? I am good. Yeah, today's been good. I took my grandson out to the park and he played in the leaves and we went to the farmer's market and he got a bun. Very nice. So, you know, all kind of classic. Yeah. Classic grandparenting. (laughs) I feel it's got, it's certainly got a bit colder recently. It just sort of yes. suddenly went, yeah, it's, it was it's very properly cold, cold today. now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's gloves and hat weather, isn't it? Yeah. I've been wearing a scarf for oh, really? a good month. Okay. Easily. Yeah. I have lots of scarves, so I feel like I should, I should wear them more often, but with lockdown, it's like, you need to find a reason to go out. I'm, I'm picturing you now just three scarves all at once, but, yeah. just to make the most of it. Next school run is just going to be scarves. <laughs> <laughs> just scarves, no clothes, just scarves. Um, how is your Christmas shopping going? It's going well, actually. I'm one of these people, the really annoying kind of people who get to about July and they start buying things when they see them. So normally by this sort of time of year, I'm pretty much done yeah. buying presents. Because I really love the few weeks before Christmas and, well, normally being able to do all this kind of things like carol concerts and Christmas markets and things. So I like to have all the shopping bit out of the way so that I can concentrate on the mulled yeah. wine and the mince pie. Well, there's probably still time for a few, you know, stocking fillers or, you know, the little things towards the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be like a last minute panic where I think I've not got enough and I buy everyone like one more yeah. massive gift. And there's the a case. big kind of movement at the moment promoting local shopping um, simply because with, yes. with the lockdown, everyone's had it really hard. Um, and I know I'm trying to source a few more presents from from local shops as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I have done quite a bit of that. Um, well, there's some great places in Taunton, aren't there? You could do all your Christmas shopping independently, easily in Taunton. Yeah. Do you have a moment in the year where you sort of allow yourself to get into the festive mood? Like when when do you start playing Christmas music? I'd say around mid September. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know um, well it used to be kids are back at school but I don't have any school-aged children anymore to so there's not that structure um so yeah I don't I don't think there's too early really is there I mean (laughs) there's a pause like you do think there's too early my birthday is in November so um Uh, okay so So you've got that to get yeah I'm like if anyone's talking about Christmas before my birthday I'm obsessed mm. about it. Like after my okay. birthday, sure, it's Christmas. Let's go. Is for that it. the beginning or the end? It's of the beginning. So, okay. So yeah. Well, that's all right. That's a decent lead in time. Then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Think so. Okay. What do you remember about your Christmases growing up as a kid? I remember waiting for the arrival of my gran and granddad. That's probably the most exciting thing I remember because my gran absolutely loved Christmas. So she would go like full on gifts. Um, she'd turn up to our house with the cardboard boxes full of uh, like York fruits and bottles of Gordon's gin and there'd be like a smell of polish in the house where my mum had like just sprayed polish around to create the illusion of having cleaned before people arrived Uh, yeah so I just kind of that sitting in the bay window of the living room watching for their arrival that's kind of signified the beginning of Christmas I think for me as a child and then of course that kind of moment when you wake up in the middle of the night and like you can see the silhouette of your stocking in the darkness and you can see that it's got presents in and you know that you can't get up yet because it's too early but you know that they're there. You've been in Somerset most of your life if not all if you well it depends how, how you count Bristol. Well I actually wasn't born in Somerset I feel ah. like something of a fraud now revealing that but um 
yeah we although both of my parents are from Somerset originally and um grandparents as well have uh, lived here lived here for a long time I was actually born in Norfolk and then we did a little kind of roundabout a few different places and we didn't actually move back to Somerset until I was 10. Okay. <gasps> so shock oh. horror. Well yeah but that's... Am I still that's... allowed on? Yeah of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> so and then at 10 you moved to Bridgewater? Yes that's right yeah. At that age did you get involved with the fair, the carnival, that kind of thing down there? Well the first thing I remember is the smell to be honest because we moved quite nearby the old cellophane factory and I remember like when we first got out of the car at the new house, just like the stench. <laughs> I know Bridgewater was quite famous for, for the smell. Um, I didn't kind of get involved in things like Carnival and Fair, like didn't belong to a carnival club or anything like that. But obviously always used to go up to Carnival. And I went to school at um, Haygrove, which is quite near St. Matthew's Field. And we used to be allowed out at lunchtimes to go to the fair when I used to go to school there. Um, that's very nice of them. I, don't, I don't think they do <laughs> I don't think they um, do that nowadays but yeah it used to be that you could go out at lunchtime hang out by the waltzers for 40 minutes back to school back to school to do some geography yeah <laughs> I don't think any of the rides were even open so I'm not sure what the appeal was I guess being able to leave school but true yeah True. Um, I also was reading up and discovered that there was an old outdoor pool that might have still been open when you were. Yeah, the Lido. Yeah. Yes, there was. But I was never cool enough to go. Was it a cool thing to go to the Lido? Well, I mean, you had to have friends. So that kind of put me on the like a back foot to start with. I was I was so, so not cool when I was school age. I was you know there's always like a person in the class who just can't help but put their hand up to answer every single question so that was me um and as a result I didn't have loads of friends I wouldn't say I wasn't the kind of person who just like spent the summer holidays hanging out at the Lido for sure but I heard lots of people talk about it okay it sounded good (laughs) (laughs) was there a was there a family business what were your what were your parents uh, doing uh, um so my mum was uh, more of a kind of stay-at-home mum so she did she did have some part-time jobs she actually worked at Haygrove for a while when I was there so that probably didn't help with my popularity Your street cred. I, yeah. I would like wave to her in the corridors when we went past and stuff um, and my dad uh, was a primary school teacher in Bridgewater and um, so he worked at Somerset Bridge which is down off Taunton Road. Uh, yeah, he worked there for, for a long time. Yeah. Yes. So they're both in education to some extent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And my gran actually used to be a maths teacher and she taught at Haygrove when it was Dr Morgan's back years and years ago. Yeah, so that's that's the, our kind of family family thing. Yeah. Did you do much writing? Did you have creative outlets? No, I was actually really much more of a, a kind of numbers person. Maths was always my favourite subject at school. And with my grand being a maths teacher, I remember when I used to go and stay there in the holidays, um, when I was kind of like eight, eight or nine, um, like my idea of a fun holiday activity was for her to teach me trigonometry, well, you know, something like that. <laughs> I make myself sound so fun don't I um yeah so I was always really into into uh, the more of the mathsy stuff used to like making myself little uh boxes out of nets that I designed myself yeah fun things like that yeah yeah so uh, you you are sort of curious about patterns and numbers and that kind of thing more than more than more than the creative arts yeah I love love a number pattern yeah for sure. In fact, you know, I learned just this weekend, I got to try and remember it now, that the the difference between the square of any two consecutive odd numbers is always a multiple of eight. Did you know that? I did not know that. There's a fun fact. That's a great pattern. Pump quiz question. That's very exciting. How did you learn that? Um, because my mum actually still does some 
maths tuition and she had been um, going through a maths GCSE paper with one of her students and we were there um, visiting for a Sunday lunch and she asked me if I could prove algebraically that that was the case because that's the kind of fun family activity that we like to do on a Sunday afternoon and I couldn't I'm a bit rusty but I still I still liked the pattern it's good to keep the brain brain yeah. going on those kinds of things yeah I mean once I saw the answer <laughs> I could do it I think that's generally the way there isn't it what sort of algebraic hindsight yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um I did see though on your blog that you had a diary at school so that might have been your first <laughs> efforts in writing I did it, yeah I did when I was about 11 or 12 I think keep a diary for maybe all of about three weeks yeah um and it was not interesting I think I, I, I kind of published a, a little extract from it on my blog and it was things like went to Sainsbury's my mum let me buy Jaffa cakes and the, things like that yeah um, so I, I think I kept it yeah literally for just a few weeks mm. um but you know you have to start somewhere don't you I guess true yeah. so perhaps that was me dabbling <laughs> so so your childhood was uh you know obviously quite academic quite kind of driven by by education a little bit of writing and some trips to Sainsbury's yeah um <laughs> and that that all made quite a dramatic change when you turned 16 or at the age of 16. I know surprised everybody that did um yeah I I was pregnant when I was 16 which yeah I think must have been a massive surprise to everyone who knew me I'm sure nobody at school even thought that there'd be anybody who'd want to sleep with me um but yeah 16 I actually went went to my GCSE certificate presentation evening at school and I was a couple of months pregnant although I didn't know it at the time where I got the cup for the headmaster's cup for outstanding academic achievement or something like that because I got the best GCSE results in the year so that's my payoff for not having no friends yeah but ironically was was pregnant at the time which is quite fun. Um, it, but timings-wise, it actually worked out pretty well because um, my daughter was actually born at the end of July in the summer holidays between the first and the second year of my A-levels. So didn't even need any time off. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have planned it better if I'd planned it, really. When uh, you, so you didn't know when you received the award how how did you find out and what kind of were your first reactions to that well I found you know I I guess I uh was late having my period like people you know kind of classic uh for a little while I thought well I can't be pregnant because that's the kind of thing that happens to other people isn't it stuff like that but I guess that was just kind of quite naive to the possibility of of something like that happening to me and yeah so I did a test and it was positive yeah there I was my boyfriend at the time was actually a year younger than me so he was only 15 and he was still in his final year at school um he wouldn't let me come and meet him off the school bus when I started to get so pregnant that you could tell <laughs> yeah Do you remember what was going through your head throughout the pregnancy as, as it got closer to becoming, you know, a, a real child? Uh, <laughs> well, I actually was writing, wrote about this this week because I kept a quite a short, I guess, a sort of birth report when she was born. Um, and it was so kind of relaxed. It was just like pain was really bad. I was sick in a bowl. Um, then the the midwife came in and it was all just like really kind of matter of fact, not really any sort of emotional content, I would say. Um, it was more just kind of this happened, then this happened, this happened, that was nice, this happened, that hurt. Um, 
I don't remember really being too worried about it at all. I think when you're 16, 17, you're pretty adaptable, really. I certainly didn't feel like um, I wasn't. I don't think I was worried. I think I just thought, oh, well, you know, see how it goes. Expect it will be fine. I suppose pretty chillaxed. When you're when you're at that age, the concept of what the rest of your own life looks like can be, you know, mm. a complete blank. I have no idea. So uh, adding another life to that is sort of arbitrary, really. Yeah, I mean, if I was to be pregnant now, I, I would be horrified um, because you get, you're so much more established, aren't you, in your own life and what you like and don't like doing and how you like to kind of manage your days and your weeks. Um, but when you're 16, I, I don't think, you know, I'd not, I hadn't experienced having any kind of independence or you know I couldn't even drive or do anything I had nothing to give up so I didn't have like the dilemma of you know what about a career and what you know is that going to have to go on hold I didn't have to give up like my annual exotic foreign holiday or anything like that you know I just yeah like you say it was just like oh, I want an extra person in the house to watch gladiators with me <laughs> good 90s throwback oh, that's such a classic uh, who, yeah. who was your favourite gladiator? I loved gladiators. I don't really remember any of the gladiators. I remember one of the contestants who had the nickname Two Scoops. Yes. I don't know if you remember. Two Scoops. Two Scoops. I don't really know where the name even came from. I just have the quite a, just a clear... Yeah. Whenever I think gladiators, I just think Two Scoops. I seem to remember it was something so about he got he always got two scoops of vegetables, maybe, from his mum, so... <laughs> See, my first thought was ice cream. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have Maybe to I'll do some research. You, you could find out and put a little note in yeah, the bottom true. of the a podcast. Little kind of talking point. It's like a reference thing. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of support from family and friends did you have kind of at the beginning in those first few months and years? Oh, I had masses and I would never have been able to do it otherwise. Um, my mum, as I said, you know, didn't uh, work full time. So she was at home and I was still living at home. Um, and my my grandparents, my gran had retired then from teaching, but they lived about 10 minutes away. And um, and college were actually really great as well. So I did go straight back to the second year in September, but they let me um, cut down the kind of face to face time. So I only had to go in for three days a week and then when I did go in I just left the at home with either my mum or with my gran yeah. and they all loved it yeah I, I mean if I'd had to pay for childcare or if I'd not had any that kind of help I it would have been a completely different different situation so yeah I was I was really lucky my mum loves babies so she was really excited and that's probably not your classic reaction to your daughter being pregnant at 16 but yeah she was really pleased <laughs> how did the additional responsibility shape that time of you know late teens early 20s where there is you know maybe some of your peers who are you know living a little bit more wildly shall we say <laughs> um I think I probably had a, a sort of a kind of two different strands to my life perhaps so um when B was younger and sort of when I was 17 18 19 I was very much kind of uh stay at home I uh, didn't go out at the weekends um you know quite lived quite a sort of family type life and then when I was 19 so when she was about two and a half years old um I separated from her dad so we stayed together for about three and a half years um and then after that I did have a a year or two where I made up for my lost youth a little bit shall we say uh, it was about the time that the palace opened in Bridgewater and I, so I did used to go out like religiously every Saturday night for like a classic Bridgewater Saturday night out and B would go would stay at my mum's and um that, I guess that was kind of my opportunity in the week to be 
be a bit to act my age probably um but I've never been like massively into going out all the time or anything but I think that kind of one night out where I could let off that steam and just mm. be a bit more childish was probably useful useful for me yeah and the rest of the time I've always really liked being at home I'm quite like a homey person so yeah it was it was good fun and then child number two came along in your mid-20s yeah. uh yeah, what were the sort cool. of differences similarities this time around uh well I felt ancient um at 24 <laughs> at 24 yeah because I already had a seven-year-old um so I remember uh, like going along to all these baby groups and the breastfeeding group when when Belle was a baby and feeling just like oh my god I must be the oldest and the wisest person here and everybody else was a good five or ten years older than me still um having their first babies but yeah it, it was really different in terms of the kind of the social side of it um because obviously first time around none of my peers have children and I had some really good friends but you know they didn't have babies so we didn't have that kind of shared experience and I was way too young like I didn't feel at all like I fitted in with any of the parenting groups or anything like that so I didn't make any friends with people who had babies but then second time round, I just really kind of threw myself into it and went to loads of groups and made a real effort to to connect with other parents and that's I'm still friends now with um group of women that I met at the breastfeeding group and we still have dinner once a month 18 years later um yeah so that that, that was a big difference kind of actually having friendships with other parents and I guess it was different as well because I was working full-time so I had to kind of think about giving up work and the financial implications of that and also you know having an older child already I'm kind of juggling them both and seven years is a biggish age gap um which was fine at the beginning and B who was you know being seven was really excited to have a baby sister and like absolutely loved it but then it kind of you get to the point where one of them's 14 and the other one's seven and they perhaps don't quite thrive in each other's company in the same way so that's that's trickier how much of the early parenting skills had you forgotten by the time you had your second? Um, I'm not sure I ever had them the first time around. I don't know that it's a case of forgetting them because I don't think it was that I ever learnt them. I think you just, a lot of it is, is a sort of instinct thing, isn't it? And trusting your judgment. Um, I think already in those seven years kind of, that lots of things had changed in terms of perhaps the expectations of parents or the kind of different ways that, of doing things. So I, you know, for example, when B was born, I stayed in hospital in Bridgewater for four days afterwards, and they took her away at night and just brought her back for feeds. And it was like a, it was lovely. There was just a little ward with four of us on there and we just hung out in the day and it was great fun. Um, when Belle was born in 2002, it was uh, sort of, you know, four hours and they want the bed back and you're, you're sent home again. So a lot has had already changed, I think, just in that time. But no, I, I think as a parent, I've always been fairly sort of confident in my own decision making and in my own, in the choices that I make. So, it, yeah, it was okay. I don't think I felt like I had lost my touch. Before starting your blog, you were writing uh, as a career in various guises as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> um, I didn't actually, um, my first paid piece of work, piece of writing work was when Belle was a baby. So when through the breastfeeding group that I went to, I trained to be a breastfeeding counsellor and a magazine, a parenting magazine that was just starting up, got in touch with the breastfeeding organisation that I was a counsellor with and said they were looking for somebody to write about breastfeeding. Did they know anyone? And I 
put my hand up because that, that never goes away apparently um and said that uh yes i'd love to and wrote uh something for them every issue for about a year before i plucked up the courage to ask if they would pay me to do it and uh, the first time they paid me was very exciting I, they paid me by check and i took a photocopy of it as my first piece of paid writing um but uh it wasn't until 2009 i think when i decided to uh, go self-employed and kind of took the writing more seriously when did you start thinking that writing about your experience as a single mother could firstly be like an outlet for you uh, mm. and secondly be something that other people would connect with I guess initially that wasn't my motivation for starting my blog it was more the fact that a, sort of about six months before I'd given up um, a full-time job to I wanted to be self-employed I wanted to work for myself and I was watching a lot of sex in the city at the time and I liked the idea of sitting outside a cafe and writing like a sex column and then spending most of my time going out for dinner that's what it always seemed to be the case with uh, with the characters on there so I'd given up this job and I bought a desk on eBay and was all ready and primed and because I didn't really have any journalistic experience or qualifications so I ended up setting up the blog as a way to test out subjects really so I thought I could write little pieces about you know things that I think might be interesting and if they get a good response then I can pitch to magazines newspapers uh, on the back of that so when I first started writing the blog it was less about kind of directly thinking that anyone would be interested in what I had to say and more as a platform for the for the journalism so it's quite a surprise really when it's when it started to get regular readers and have, get people coming back and leaving comments mm. and getting engaged yeah 2009 would have been fairly early in terms of parent blogging years did you find that there weren't necessarily other uh, writers to, to share ideas with and kind of make a, a community with? There was definitely already a community, but it was much smaller and more manageable. So it felt more like um, you could know everybody in it. Um, and it was, yeah, sort of smallish groups. I remember going to what must have been, you know, the sort of first parent bloggers conference in the UK in 2010 and it feeling like everybody who wrote a parent blog was at that conference and there were you know 100 200 people something like that I mean I'm sure it wasn't the case but it felt very much more like you could but you were a part of something and uh, you know you knew everybody in that group and it was brilliant timing, really, because it meant that I could establish myself within that smaller group. Um, I, you know, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to start writing a blog now and to try and stand out. In you know, there are thousands and thousands of parent blogs in the UK now. I mean, how you how you kind of get people to know about you and um, get yourself out there now I mean that's that would be a tough job I think and since starting you've had a few different chapters of parenthood really uh, you've had um, you know some time in Bristol you've had both of your children grow up uh, and now one of them has a child themselves um, how has the blog kind of evolved with you throughout that life journey yeah it has been quite an, an eventful time really I guess um so when I first started my daughters were seven and 14 so it was very much about I'd say it was kind of more focused on the seven-year-old because 
she didn't read it so I had a bit more free reign um and it was a lot of a lot of um things around you know the practicalities of being a single parent of being on your own or you know of dating as a single mum and and kind of dealing with all those issues as you know kids are going through primary school and then through secondary school and yeah we moved um from where, where are we living when I start so we're living in Bridgewater when I first started uh then we moved up to Bristol and then back to Taunton again I had a couple of different long-term relationships um I got engaged I had breakups um yeah became a granny it's been a, a busy kind of 10 11 years really um but so interesting to look back on because I've got a terrible memory now. I used to have a brilliant memory but and so if I find myself thinking, God, where was it that we went on holiday? Or what was it that we did? Um, I can just Google it. I can literally Google my own life. And I've written it all down, uh, which is, is, is really useful. So it's, it is lovely to have that sort of record of, of, you know, things that we've done as a family and um, how they've grown up and how we've all changed. I don't think so much could happen in that, in what feels like a relatively short space of time. Yeah. When did it turn from being a side project to something that you were making money from and you know you were doing it as a job? It's hard to pin down when it changed really because I think it's such a, a gradual evolution. I do remember the first time I was sent something for free. That was very exciting. It, I was sent a, it was about six months into writing the blog I think and um, I was offered a hand cream to review uh it was thrilling really just to get something in the post for free and I wrote a post a blog post about it and said about how the hand cream had a smell like an old people's home and like all these really unflattering things about it uh, but, but yeah there's a, so that was exciting I don't remember the first piece of of paid work that I got from the blog or like when it started turning into a regular income I think it just happened so so gradually I guess the last the last five or six years particularly have been where brands have become much more aware of the um the potential in working with influencers so that's when probably when it's become a a much, a much more sort of reliable form of income. It's interesting how the sort of terminology uh, has gone from being about bloggers to about influencers. How yeah. how do you feel about that? I think that I think it's positive. Actually, that quite recently I was involved in um, judging some awards, which used to be called blog awards um, for an organisation called Vulio, and I I won a couple of them uh, when they they first started out but they actually last year changed their name from uh, being blog awards to being influence awards and I, I think it's I think I I mean the the term influencer is a bit cringy and I don't you know it's when you people ask you what you do I tend to say writer rather than you know influencer or something like that because I'm not sure everybody not sure it's quite become sort of common usage yet but I think um the idea of somebody being able to sort of share their thoughts or share pictures on lots of different platforms not just through a blog is you know a really positive one and the more ways there are for people to be creative and to tell their stories I think the better. What's the most surprising thing uh you found about being a mummy blogger? The most surprising thing, um, I guess I like I'm surprised all the time by the ridiculous things that people will pay me to do, <laughs> like how I can make a living from taking pictures of a cake or, you know, the, and just sort of the, the opportunities that I've had to do things, you know, like to travel to places that I would never have been able to travel to or to meet people that I would you know never normally meet and it does feel surreal sometimes to think that that's actually a job you know and, and I can pay the mortgage by going and having brunch with Alicia Dixon or something you know that kind of 
how is that a job? It's certainly not the job that was recommended to me when I did the careers test at school at Haygrove and it said I should be an insurance underwriter. <laughs> but I guess it wasn't to know. Yeah, mine said uh, accountant or I think probation officer. <laughs> probation. I think so. I know, I know a lot of people, if you said you liked animals, then you always got dog groomer. Right. So that, that I obviously didn't like animals at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, insurance underwriter. I didn't even know what that, I'm not even sure I even know now what that does. I know, Sounds well, it's, now, it's it? you know, it's, it's to do with patterns in numbers, isn't it? I must have just, it's there must have been a question that was, do you like maths? Yeah. Um, well, I did actually train to be an actuary after I left university. So it's probably that kind of vibe, isn't it? It's in the same ballpark, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Your first experience of becoming a parent was pre-internet and your second child was pre-smartphones, yes. pre-social media. How have you seen things yeah. like Mummy Bloggers and Mumsnet change the way in which people approach parenting now in comparison to, you know, when when you first became a parent? I think there must be so much more pressure now. And so many more opportunities to compare yourself with other people. I think when when I was a parent, obviously you'd kind of talk to friends or, you know, I'd ask my mum about things. But generally, I was just kind of le left to get on with it and make my own choices unless I, you know, deliberately had a book and read things, um, you know, or read the leaflets from the, the midwife and things like that. But I certainly didn't feel any kind of sense of other parents doing a better job than me or or anything like that, you know. And I think the internet has, I think there's pros and cons, obviously, like with anything. So there is much more opportunity to be, to find reassurance and to find support networks and to connect with other people in similar situations and all of that is really positive for loads of people because parenting can be really isolating and to be able to have make friends online I'm sure is a godsend to a lot of people but then the flip side of that of course is you've got kind of all of these um images of you know like every every month your baby is laid out on the floor next to a balloon that says I'm three months old today and they they look perfect and um there's like homemade bunting in the background and the expectations seem so much higher uh, I'm not sure I would have been very good at keeping up with all of that yeah they're sort of self-perpetuating you know it's no, no one asked anyone to do that yeah people no. have just started doing it and and because everyone else is doing it, there's a pressure for you to do it. It's, it's the worst kind of peer pressure because yeah. it, it doesn't benefit anyone. No, really, like nobody. It's not like, <laughs> like you know, if, like... if it's peer pressure to, you know, go and, and have a drink when you're underage, at least you have the fun of getting drunk. Like yeah. if it's peer pressure right. to take stupid pictures of your baby in a Christmas hat, mm. no one benefits. Yeah. The baby certainly doesn't. No. <laughs> no I don't think so no you're right there's it's not even peer pressure to do something like make sure your baby eats only organic food which you can see there'd be at least some like health benefits ultimately it's just time wasting isn't it <laughs> oh, well. yeah I don't think I'd have got on board with all of that well the thing about your blog even the title of it is just sort of <laughs> it implies that I wouldn't have got on board with it exactly <laughs> and uh, it might be that that's possibly an element of why people are, are drawn to your approach yeah I think that there is certainly um a backlash isn't there against that idea of um all the homemade bunting and the that perfect family life and I think lots of parents do get a lot of reassurance from seeing more sort of normal parents feeding their children fish fingers and not doing the washing up until the next morning and hiding in the bathroom with a bag of chocolate buttons and you know all of those kind of uh, those sort of the slummy mummy as opposed to the yummy mummy 
uh, yeah, I think that's, that can be positive for a lot of people. It's much more relatable. It makes you feel much better about yourself, doesn't it? If you know that other people are doing as crap a job as you feel like you are, for sure. You have also been inspired to uh, write a novel about the world of parenting as well. How did how did that come about? Had that always been an ambition? I, I was inspired by the fact that I was asked to. Um, I think as much as anything. No, I've never, I, I wish I could say that I've always had a, you know, burning desire to write a book or there was always a novel inside me and it was my life's work and it's been sat in a drawer all this time. But honestly, it wasn't. I was just asked if I would like to do it and I said yes. I think it's that whole, you know, the, the publishers saw an opportunity and saw that there was this, kind of desire amongst parents for a more real version of parenting and you know there's you know people like Jill Sims who writes the why mommy drinks and the why mommy swears books has been so massively successful um which clearly there's an appetite for that kind of real parenting yeah so I, I was just approached by by the publisher to and they said have you ever thought of writing fiction? And I told them about the 15,000 words that I once wrote of a uh, crime novel that I had to give up because I didn't have any clues and I didn't know who did it. Uh, I'd heard that some like crime writers just, that they don't plan, that they just start a story and then they, the suspect reveals themselves and it all falls into place. So that was how I going about it but it didn't I just had a body in a swimming pool and I had no idea how it got there just a cold case basically <laughs> yeah I just had to close it so I so I did tell my editor about that and she very kindly chose to ignore that and said she had a better idea <laughs> yeah and 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 that was that uh, I didn't have especially long time to write in I could probably have had more time but I didn't want to start until I'd properly signed the contract just in case it was a joke so when I did start writing I had two months before I had to hand in my first draft and I was obviously kind of keeping the blog going and working alongside that but it is a diary style so I think that kind of lends itself to being a bit slapdash doesn't it how much of your own experiences are in there as well I think there are anecdotes for sure, especially some of the dating ones. You know, similar things may have happened to me or to friends. But I think what's nice about it is that so many of the experiences that happen to the characters in the book happen to all parents. It's just those kind of, you know, going to soft play and it making you want to like jump off a cliff or like getting home and just not knowing what to cook for tea and wishing that you never had to think about it ever again you know all those kind of experiences are so relatable and they happen to everybody so yes they are kind of inspired by my own life but you know that you don't have to dig very deep to to come up with things that other parents are going to be able to relate to. One random thing, I've noticed that your Instagram channel features quite a lot of doors, yes. which my personal one does as well, because I find them really interesting. Um, yeah, I love doors. What, what do you love about doors? I mean, I do like the aesthetic. I like the symmetry. Um, I, but what I really love about doors is the idea of not knowing what's behind them. Because you walk past, you know, other people's houses every day and you walk past their doors and you stare in through their windows, if you're like me, uh, especially this time of year when the lights go on and it's dark outside and no one can see you looking. Um, but I just love that idea of there's so many stories and so many lives happening all around us all the time. And we just don't know any of them. And they're all happening just behind a door. And any one of those doors could have an incredible story behind it I just find it kind of intriguing why do you like doors I quite like old doors um and the history behind them and like okay. you know how, 
how many different sort of generations and, and eras those doors have, have been through. Um, yeah, what they've witnessed. Yeah. Yeah, I think Who's my... Who's been carried over the threshold. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. I, I quite like massive doors as well. Yeah. Like, hilarious. Really big, big chunky wooden... You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. My favourite doors yeah. are probably uh, in Rome. Uh, there's a set of doors at the Forum, which are like, you know, yeah. house size. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, I'm just impressed by that as, as, a, as a feat I, of engineering. I also have a favourite lock. I don't know if that's usual, um, but this, at the at Barrington Court, which National Trust place, kind of Langport way, there's a door inside the house, and it's got this lock on it, which I just love. It's a it's a kind of a combination of a traditional lock, but it's also got like a latch element, and it's metalwork, and it's really ornate and. Uh, it's really beautiful. So, uh, yeah, that I uh, have a favourite lock. That's on my Instagram feed somewhere. If you scroll back far enough. But they put. I'm really glad I got a picture of it when I did because they've got a little sign on it now that says that you're not allowed to touch it because maybe I touched it too much. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, presumably other people touched it as well. So I wouldn't be able to take a photo of it now. No. So I feel, I feel pleased. I feel happy that I've got that photo Good. of my favourite lock. Joe, we're now going to play Somerset Location or Victoria Novel Character, dun, 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 dun. Uh, which is the game where I'm going to give you names and you have to tell me whether you think they are a place in Somerset or a character from a Victorian yeah. novel. Oh How is your okay. knowledge of obscure places <laughs> in the county? I think it will be poor. Okay. To be honest, my my geography generally is not my strongest point, and I tend to read more okay. contemporary fiction okay. than classic Victorian novels. So I could just this is a lot of potential for me to humiliate myself, which I presume. I mean, the game. we've had we've had some pretty bad scores. So. Okay. What, what, how many there are questions eight. are there? What's a good score? There are eight. Right. So if you, if you just give me the same answer the whole way through, uh, you, you might yeah. end up... I, I don't know if it's 50-50. I think it's pretty random. So, yeah, but that's, that's not in the spirit of the game. So I, I'd like you to get... No, I wouldn't do that. Okay. I, I will. Um, and, you know, anywhere that's near Taunton, near Bridgewater, is, is probably a yeah. better option for you. But we will, yeah. we will see. So your first name, uh, Somerset location or yes. Victoria novel character is Magdalene Vanstone. I'm going to go Victorian novel character. You are correct. Yes. Magdalene Vanstone is from the Wilkie Collins novel, No Name. Okay, I knew that. <laughs> that's why I said it. <laughs> I All right, that. so that's... One correct. Okay, next, next one. Hillfarance Brook. Oh, well, there's definitely a place in Somerset called Hillfarance, so I'm guessing Hillfarance Brook is the place. That's correct. It yes. is Hillfarance Brook runs through Milverton, which is quite near you. It is yeah. not far at all. Yeah. 100% so far. Model. Model. Hmm. I'm going to go with Victorian novel character. You're right to say Victorian yeah. novel character. Model. Oh my God, this is my calling. Or Mr. Model is a character, a very minor character from Charles Dickens' Martin Chuzzlewit. There you go. All right. Beryl Lane. Hmm. Well, I want to say... I want to say place, but I don't know whether that's just because I'm being lured in by the use of the word lane and it, that it's actually a trick. And also, I feel like then that will have been one of each and that's too much of a pattern. So I'm going to say it's a character. Barrel Lane is in Wells. Oh, I ever thought it. I ever thought it, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Okay. It was. It was more simple. There was no... 
There was no there's, double there's bluff. There's no trickery. No. All right, <sighs> let's try the next one. Okay. Beale Farange. Farange? Farange? Oh my goodness. Beale Farange. I have no idea. Uh, I'll say a character for this one then. Yes. <sighs> Beale Farange good. is from the back Henry James on, novel What Maisie Knew, which I have not read. I have not read that either. No. So that's four, four out of five. Okay. Hester Deathridge. Oh. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I mean, that I don't want to overthink it again like I did with Beryl Lane. Mm. It sounds like a character. Let's go with a character. It is a character. Yes. It's another Wilkie Collins novel. Man and Wife. So that is five for mm. you. So you're doing well. Okay, good. Good, good. Next one is Norton Mal Reward. Oh, well, there's like Norton Fitzwarren, isn't there? And Norton other places. I'm going to go with a place for that one. Yeah. Yes. Norton Mal Reward is uh, just south of Bristol. It has an mm. airfield. Does it? But I do think it would make a good name for like a villain you know yes it's got a sort of evil quality about the mal reward it? part in particular yeah. mr yeah. mal reward i mean even just like the two words like mal as a the part of the word mm. it's, it's something it's like something to do with getting your comeuppance isn't yeah. it yeah yeah definitely for sure bradley cross okay well obviously bradley is a name but i think that's a bit of a modern name for a victorian novel so i think that's a place it is a place yeah it is in cheddar just outside of cheddar. this game i might introduce this as a family so game. your final score is seven out of eight yay okay i'm happy with that that is and and really those, a tip-top I performance was too clever with barrel lane that's what happened yeah had you not <laughs> gone against your initial instinct yeah you would have ended up with 100 percent well, that was a very good game. Thank you. Thank you for playing. Enjoyed that. <laughs> Before we go, where's the best place that people can find you and, and follow what you're up to? They can either come and read my blog at slummysinglemummy.com or they can come and follow me on Instagram where I'm also slummysinglemummy. And then they can look at the doors and they can scroll all the way back and find my favourite lock if they want to. Joe, thank you so much for your time. You've been a wonderful guest. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Somerset Stories or email hello at somersetstories.com. See you next time.